you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I've got a very esteemed guest with me, somebody I've known for several years now um, and massively look up to uh, in the coaching space. One of the best um, performance, high-performance coaches that I know uh, in the entrepreneurship space in the form of Beiju Solanke. Welcome to the show, Beiju. Oh, Robin, thank you so much. Well, great introduction, really. I wondered who you were talking about there, but no, it's a very, very flattering, very uh, great introduction. I'm really looking forward to uh, to being on this podcast and uh, having a, a great conversation. Well, having having kind of listened to you on Clubhouse a lot recently um, and also followed you for some time, you know, I know that you have a, a, a such a detailed, I mean, you're a psychology lecturer for nine years. Um, you've written a, a book about sort of um, high performance in psychology within, you know, for small business owners, which hopefully we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. The book's book self-titled, isn't it? Change Your Game. Yeah, Change Your Game. There you Fantastic go. Fantastic book. Really so yeah. I, I should have dug it out and we could have done the thing where we yeah. both hold the books up, but yeah, I've got a yeah. somewhere there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to, to, to sort of kick things off with, um, Beishu, was um, just really talking about, cause we've, we've had a tough couple of years and, you know, I, I know it's been two years now and we probably shouldn't be talking about COVID anymore and just getting our shit together and moving on with life. But um, I, I think one of the things which people have sort of really struggled with through this time is, is um, like goal setting. I know a lot of people have gone through this process of kind of creating a reset with their business, with their life. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they talk about big goals, whereas you actually talk about the psychology of micro goals. So I'd love to dig into that. Like what are micro goals and and what's the psychology behind it? Yeah, no, you're you're right. You know, we've gone through a period whereby there was so much uncertainty in the world that so many things are outside our control. We couldn't choose to go out. We couldn't run our businesses the way we wanted. We had so many restrictions with government and other employees if you're in a job. And the concept of micro goals came to me uh, about three or four, no, about five, six years ago. It was during August. Now, you know, August and December are times whereby the world sort of shuts down. This is pre-COVID, right? Where there's not much happening. And there was one year whereby in our world, um, we sort of shut down as well. And then we sort of start again in September. And then you realize that when you start in September, especially the world that I work in, I did a bit of corporate work, a bit of entrepreneurial work, and you start going in in sort of, you know, seeding your ways if you want with them. with the uh, with clients and you realize budgets have already been set they've already put their trainers in place they were, so you're sort of behind the curve so I thought well in August there's not much sort of things you can do where it requires other people so what can you do so this concept of micro goals came up and that was like setting goals during the day that have three core criteria number one you're totally in your control number two um, they're measurable and number three you can complete them within an hour or at least a day they don't go over. So think about this, right? If I asked you, um, uh, one of your goals this week might be to have five sales conversations, right? Yeah. So Robbie, if I said to you, that could be a micro goal. Today, I'm going to have five sales conversations. Now, would you say that's a good micro goal? Uh, absolutely. It's probably probably on the edges of a, of a micro goal for me because I typically, I, my goal is actually to have sort of three to five a week. So to do it today might be a struggle, but maybe. Let's say, let's say, so let's say two sales conversations then. Yes, would, that be, would that be a good micro goal? Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Right. Well, it's not a micro goal. And I explain why. Because to have two sales conversations requires someone else to pick up the phone or respond. 
So uh, the micro goal is you're making two dials or you're sending two messages. You're in total control of making the dial, right? You're not in control of whether someone picks up the phone or responds to your Zoom. You've got to trust that if they do pick up the phone, then you can do what you need to do. So the goal is to make two dials today within one hour. That's it. That's the micro goal. Now, are you guaranteed to achieve it? Well, not necessarily, because if people don't pick up the no, phone... No, 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 no. Are you guaranteed to a micro... If the micro goal is two dials within the hour, are you guaranteed to achieve it? Yeah, I can do it in 10 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So you're guaranteed to achieve it. The purpose of the micro goal means that, one, you're always going to be successful. You're always going to meet your goals. Number two is when we when we achieve something, we just feel good. And when we feel good, we feel more productive. And when we feel more productive, we can expand our horizons even more. So today we might say, do you know what? I smashed that micro goal. Tomorrow I'm going to push my micro goal a little bit more. The purpose of a micro goal is that you will guarantee to win the day. You're guaranteed to achieve it and you'll never fail. Because if you set goals in such a way where it requires someone else to respond or somebody else to click a button, you're at the mercy of someone else's behavior. So you might say, well, I could make two dials within the hour, but the first dial, they might connect and have an hour's sales conversation, which is great. So if you happen to do it within um, uh, within, uh, um, uh, within two hours, it doesn't matter. So the point of micro goals is the purpose is to win the day and to feel good and to be productive. And that's it. And that's the idea. So you might say, right, I want to write a blog post, a LinkedIn post, right? So part of the micro goal isn't that you get 10 DMs as a result of your post. Is my micro goal today is I'm going to draft the LinkedIn post. My micro goal tomorrow is I'm going to post it. My micro goal the next day is just to respond to comments. And that's it. Yeah. You're not relying on the thing coming back. So and when I when I had this thing about a few years ago, about September, I said in August, I can't rely on other people being available. So I said, right, how am I going to win August? The way I'm going to win August is to set things that I'm totally in control over. And nothing else. I'm not relying on a supplier ringing me back. I'm not relying on a corporate uh, executive DM me saying they're ready for a meeting. So what can I control? I can create content. I can post content. I can make lists. I can do planning. I can do strategy. So I can do loads of things that work on my business, requires no one else's input. So all of a sudden you become productive. So I thought, would this work during the year? So I started with my own coaching group. So I said, right, what we're going to do is, is we, the thing is, we have this goal setting thing about big setting, big goals, which is great. You know, aim for the um, stars. And if you miss him, I hit the moon, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, that big goal, break that down into micro goals. So if you want to achieve 10K revenue this month, right? 10K revenue means you've got to sell 10 courses. To get 10 courses, you need, I don't know, 100 inquiries. What do I do? What's my micro goal today to get 100 inquiries? Well, my micro goal today is I'm going to post one post on Instagram. I'm going to do one reel and I'm going to do a LinkedIn post. And that's it. You can't, and then it leads on to something else I'm going to talk about, about NATO not attached to outcome. So the principle of micro goals is you're totally in control. You're always going to succeed. And it's about winning the day. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so important. There's, there's something here as well about um, uh, internal and external validation. So internally, you've got to be content with the fact you've done you've done your, your job. Yes. And if you do that job well, that doesn't rely on anybody else, then naturally at some point without getting too woo-woo, that energy is going to start coming back in isn't it it's going to get re reflected back in because you're out there now you've done you've done your blog post you've done your linkedin post maybe you have sent 10 dms out but it's not about the expectation of getting a reply 
to all of those 10 people that you sent the DMs out to, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. And this sort of leads on to, you know, you mentioned earlier about nature not attached to outcome is that, you know, we're putting this, if we're putting ourselves in this world of entrepreneurship, running a business where we've got product or service, in the same breath, it's your duty to turn up. But what you don't do is then say, well, when I turn up, I expect X, Y, Z. I want this to happen. Free people. If free people don't DM me today, then it's been an unsuccessful day. Well, no, because you have no idea what other people's world like. You might have zero DMs today, but then on Friday, 10. So you can't attach yourself to an outcome. You have an expectation. And the law of the universe, you know, Robin says, you know, success leads clues. There are certain universal things that if you keep on doing, you're going to get stuff coming back. What you can't completely control is how and when their things come back to you but what you can control is what you put out there when you put it out but you can't control how it comes back to you why uh, so i know we're going to talk about the well this probably leads quite nicely into the outcome so one thing which kind of occurred to me is that um some people really they, they might go it's really easy to set a goal to send out you know do a linkedin post or a blog post or send out some dms but there's something which stops them from doing that so what's what's kind of going on there well, it's going on. Oh, I don't want to write something that's going to be people judge me. I need they've got perfectionist nature, or I'm not ready, or well, I'm not good enough. No one's going to read my stuff because I've seen ten other people who do similar to me, and oh my god, they're really good. They're articulate and they've got some great ideas. And who wants to listen to my basic idea? But there's always someone else out there who will relate to you more than anybody else. Right, and for you to, and you might say, "Well, I don't know who my audience is." Yeah, we could talk about customer advertising and the marketing thing, or the other part of it is, "Well, just just turn up." You know, Woody Allen said, "99% of success is turning up." So yeah. just turn up and allow the world to give you feedback. The world will soon tell you what they like about you, what they don't like about you, and then use that as indicators. You know, you can't, like I said, you can't have this paradox whereby you what you've got this great service and product, expect people to engage with you and pay you attention and give you money but then you don't turn up this is a paradox one one of the things we talk a lot about in fearless business is about around this concept of like enjoying the process which is again i think that that's very much like what you're talking about is just get stuck into the process irrespective of what get what comes back to you and and actually take pride in that so when you know you're talking about it's a win sending out you know doing a linkedin post or sending out a few messages or writing a blog article or doing a video because you've done the thing which you set out to do and actually enjoy that and it, the other, the rest is all just a natural byproduct of a job well done and enjoying that process. Absolutely. Right? And I, I would say, I say, enjoy the process, but also trust the process. Yeah. Because part of the process, you might not enjoy parts of it, but you're 100% right. If you enjoy the process, you're more likely to be successful. You're more likely to be productive. So the phraseology I use, which is parallel to yours, is trust the process. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you trust the process, you're relying on things that you haven't got evidence on. And that's part about trust, you know, like no like and trust. We talk about no like and trust. And sometimes you can listen to someone and trust them straight away. You know, why do I, trust? I don't know? I could just relate to them. I like what they say. I've got no evidence to show me I should trust them because they might be a mass murderer or someone who's like a complete, you know, inauthentic individual. But the same about energetically, they're like it. And that's about process as well. It's trust. There's universe, the law, the world exists not by accident. The oxygen is just enough. The sun's just enough long distance away. There's enough things in the world that happen that it can't be a coincidence. And the same as human nature, right? There are certain things. If you keep turning up, if you keep doing the right things in the right way, it eventually comes to you. What we have no control over, and this is the bitch. Sorry, I swear. This is the, the real bar, bad bar. <laughs> you can swear, it's is, fine. It's <laughs> like, you don't know when or how. So then when you look at someone, well, they did it twice. Oh my God, they've got a great result. I've, got, I've slugged away for years. I'm still not getting it. 
It's just the way of the world sometimes. Yeah, and quite often they didn't just wake up in the morning and get that result twice. They they worked hard as well to get to that point. I think, yes. you know, we're so used to seeing the highlight reel, aren't we? Yeah. There, there was something which you touched upon as well, which I think is really important to hear about. So trusting the process and enjoying the process. But you mentioned about sometimes, you know, doing the process isn't about doing just things that you like to do. Um how do you kind of get motivated? Because we all know there's all the stuff that we've got to do running a business, but there are things that we don't like doing. How do you get yourself motivated to kind of push through those sorts of hurdles and well, barriers? The question I would say is, well, if you wait to get motivated, you're never going to do it. You've got to be disciplined. Uh, okay. Yep. Right. You just got to be disciplined, right? You know, I don't know if you know my story about two, three years ago, I, I did a big sort of transformation. I lost 20 kilos and, you know, my life, when I looked at my life, it's quite ordinary. You know, I was all right. Business was all right. Life was all right. My health was all right. It wasn't great. You know, looking back, I was quite overweight. So then I said, okay, well, if I wait to get motivated, the motivation might start. It's like the spark plug in a, in a car. It might get you started, but you can't keep you going. So I was motivated to get started. But look, we all have been in the scenario of going to the gym. You go for two or three times and you think, Do you know what, can't be asked. And you, re- you, you use your feeling as a heuristic of whether you go or not, right? Yeah. So then you say, okay, right. Well, what's the big reason? So you've got to be disciplined. So I said, right, okay, what's more important is my health. I want to lose weight. I want to get fit, right? So there are going to be days I don't want to go. Well, then you've got to be disciplined, right? It's rinse and repeat. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, gym. Eat the right foods. No snacking, blah, 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 blah. And did I enjoy it all? Not necessarily. However, I focus, I trust the process. I didn't attach myself to the outcome. And it's not about motivation. And then what happens is results start to come, but not at your uh, your timeline, at the timeline it comes. Because some people lose weight at different, um, different uh, indicators. Some people react to food differently. And then all of a sudden, you get this, this, this sort of um, indications of, oh, actually, I look different in the mirror. Oh, my muscles a bit. Then oh, that's like seven weeks in. You get a little bit of motivation. Then you got to go again. So if you wait for motivation, if you wait for the reward, and that's your only indicator of being productive, you're never going to be successful. It's about being disciplined and saying, right, okay, the bigger picture is over here, and letting go of um, instant gratification. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I, I remember you going through that transformation because you, you posted sort of that journey on <laughs> Instagram and then yeah. obviously the end result where you got like, you had those professional headshots taken and yeah. it's like, wow, you, you can see, you can really see the difference. And I think as well, like other people probably having watched that, that inspired them to also take action. I, uh, there's also, this, it reminded me of something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Are you familiar with that? So where, where we overestimate our abilities before we actually start doing something. So yeah. we're like, yeah, I can go to the gym, bench press 80 kilos and do all those squats and stuff. And then we get there and we're like, Ooh, ow, yeah. ow, that really hurts. That's like really painful. And like the next few days were a bit, I remember going to, <laughs> when I, I, I lost about um, a stone and a half, uh, this is going back about five years. So I switched from swimming to cycling and I was quite overweight. I was overeating and over, over exercising and um, had to completely shift my upper body to my lower body and just get, get it much more balanced. And uh, I was doing keto at the time and I went into the gym after this is like my fourth wow. session on keto and almost passed out. And I was like, Oh God, I got this wrong. <laughs> and it's at that point where you're just like, I, that was at the bottom of the Dunning-Kruger where you fall off the cliff, think, shit, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. But then you gradually start to pull yourself back out of it. So you start off enjoying it, then it goes terribly wrong. And then you gradually start yeah. to enjoy it more and more and more as you can see yeah. the transformation, there's less friction. It's easy. And, to and, and that's what happened to me, you know, six weeks in, I was really like climbing the walls. About 10 weeks in, I thought, Do you know what, this is part of my habits now. So yeah. now I don't even, th- it's not about, 
do I go gym? I know Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, I go gym. That's my day. That's it. That's it. It's not it's a non-negotiable now. It's just part of what I do. 10,000 steps a day. It's just what I do. It's no longer... Uh, that's my life. So it wasn't like some people say when they want to change habits, they, they say, well, how can I fit this into my lifestyle? I haven't got time to go gym. I've got time. But now it's all no, it's part of my lifestyle. It's a yeah. non-negotiable. Um, so it's not about getting dis- motivated. It's more about getting disciplined. Um, a major part, I just shift gears slightly, a major part of what you talk about as well in terms of the um, what you, the work you do with your clients now is, is mostly around accountability, isn't it? Basically getting shit done. Now, I always thought accountability was kind of binary. It's either done or it's not. And how can I help you to achieve that? But there's, you said one of the things you mentioned um, is that there's actually four levels of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you could just kind of walk us through what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So accountability is 100%. Accountability is, is you know, because we've sort of mentioned Clubhouse, um, I didn't label myself as an accountability coach or what they call me as a sniper coach. Sniper coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it was just like people will come on on Clubhouse asking great questions. And there was one time where this, well, several times, people were coming into different rooms asking questions, same question and getting some great answers. And I thought, what's this person going to do? So I just unmute. I said, okay, you've got all this in. What's, your, what's the one thing you're going to do? Uh, no, no, what's the one thing you're going to do? And when they did the thing and they got some results. And then, then there was a point where I unmuted and someone went, uh-oh, watch it, but you just got to <laughs> snipe it. You're like, what? And so I've been known as to counter it, but counter just part of what I do. It's like the end result. But what I realize is that depending on where you are in your journey, depending on um, where you are in terms of your success, your, your chapters, if you like, is you need different types of accountability because we're assuming that people who aren't action takers uh, need accountability. Actually, action takers need accountability. And what I discovered, there's four different levels of accountability. So level number one is what you've probably th- uh, highlighted, the binary. is task-orientated accountability. There's a task, yeah. right? So you have an accountability partner or an individual or a group saying, right, okay, what's the task? What's the deadline? Get it done. Let me know when you've done it. End of. That's it. Yeah. And then you, the next level is what I call goal-focused accountability. So what goal focus is, is goal, you might have one goal, which means it's a series of tasks. So the goal might be, you might say, you know, you, you, it might be launch a course. That's the goal, to launch a course. But that's a series of tasks. You get the Facebook adverts, get the landing copy, and all the rest of it. So you've got loads of tasks. So the accountability is focused on the goal, not the individual tasks. Gotcha. So there's, there's a level of respect and there's a level of, so do you know what? We're not going to teach you to suck eggs. What's the goal here, right? So this, you've got to let me know that you're on track. What, so you come up with the series of tasks. So you, it's not the, the accountability partner. So you, you come up with a series of tasks. And I learned this through doing corporate work, whereby a lot of corporate leaders, um, one of their biggest issues with their staff was they weren't delivering stuff on time. And when I analyzed their account, they were allocating tasks, not goals. So when they allocate a task, they're allocating the way they would do it. I said, no, 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 no. They have a way of doing it. What's the goal? As long as they achieve the goal, how they go about it. Now you're trying to tell them to do a task the way you do it, but it's not in their flow. So I realized, actually, there's a different level. So you've got task-orientated accountability and goal-orientated focus accountability. The third level of accountability. So they're what I call the sort of binary, linear type accountability, quite first-level and what most people are used to. Then I, then you've got the two sort of high levels, which are called potential focus accountability. So this is like, if you're a part of big mastermind groups or sort of high level, whereby you've had a relatively amount of good success, you've got, um, you know, you know your stuff, you're quite an action taker, but you're maybe more busy than productive, right? So where potential focus accountability is, right? What is the potential? 
My potential is you might say, oh, X number of revenue per year, number of clients, right? Now you tell me, what are the series of goals you need to achieve? Oh, I need to launch a book. I need to launch a course. I need to connect with these three people, right? So now I'm going to hold you accountable on your potential. That's the constant conversation around your potential. Then we talk about how you're going to set certain goals. And then obviously the goals are broke down in tasks. So there's an element of respect that that person, again, doesn't need to be touched, suck eggs. I'm going to hold you accountable on your potential. Yep. And the final level, which is like the elite level, is genius level account, genius focus accountability, which is by, whereby you might have like a coffee conversation once every two months. And it might be just like a conversation but I might ask a, a pertinent question. You might make you think, wow, that makes sense. Off you go. And it sets you off on a, on a thing. So if you've got these real high-level masterminds, you've got these things whereby they're not tapping into the task you've got to do or the, are you going to then tell me, phone, phone me next week and you tell me you've done that thing. It's the genius level where you tap into that 1% of your brain whereby it just needs a conversation. But you put yourself in the environment that forces you to tap into that genius. So. Yeah. That's the sort of four levels of, of accountability that um, I've discovered just through the work that I do and realize that this person needs accountability. If I say, well, what's the task? Tell me next week. They're beyond that. They know what to do. They need more potential focus accountability. Right? Where's your potential at? What, you, what are you not doing to meet your potential and genius? So yeah. hope that makes sense. Yeah, it makes 100% of sense. And it's like, it's totally opened my world up now. You know, I mean, even as a coach myself, like, you know, I, I spend a lot of the time in the weeds dealing with that sort of level one and two mm. and, and sort of leaning into level three, but level four isn't something which I kind of come across before. And I think it's, I think that's the difference between, you know, a lot of my clients are very sort of in that startup space and they need the get shit done yeah. type accountability. Um, it's when you then start to break out of that six figure into sort of the scaling size business, maybe into corporate space yeah. where now you have to see the bigger picture yeah. that all yeah. of a sudden, and I, I think small business owners need to think like, like big business. Like, you know, you and me know a lot of, you know, we've got sort of similar mentors out in the world who are, you know, they don't need to be told what to action, but they, sometimes they need to actually remind of their genius, remind of their potential. And it's just a it's little nudge, little conversation, little, you know, sort of, oh, okay. And off they go. So it's that. Yeah. yeah. And even something which has just occurred to me, even like, you know, spending a day sat in front of your computer, ticking off, like doing checkbox exercise stuff, you're actually just completely ignoring your genius zone work. And so how important is it to take mm. 15 minutes out of your day, take the dog for a walk and go, right, I'm going to spend these 15 minutes, mm. one chasing after Wilbur, but thinking about what is my potential? Where's my genius exactly. zone? Yeah, yeah. And, and then saying that conversation, you've got a real a confident or a mentor you might talk to. That conversation isn't about, right, what's the three things you've got to do today? Let me know when you've got them done. It's a high level conversation. Yeah. That's what I call genius level account, genius focus accountability, whereby the accountability is on your genius and what you need to do. Actually, do you know what? I've settled a little bit here. I need to re engage that person. I need to re engage my thinking yeah. here. That's the kind of level. It's a oh, different I love level. It. Absolutely love it, Beiju. Um, so, how did you how did you get into? You're obviously a performance psychologist, and you you were uh, you know I'm reading your bio here, psychology lecturer for like nine years. You, you then spent as a corporate sales director. Yeah. Um, talk to me about sort of how you got into you know where the love of psychology kind of came from, and then what that journey looked like, sort of yeah. to then step into the entrepreneurial sort of world. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... It's interesting you say that. So I was brought up in a traditional sort of Asian background whereby, you know, you're growing up. University wasn't an option. It was a necessity. It was like as good as brushing your teeth. And I wasn't an, a great – I was a very in-between. I wasn't a geek and I wasn't a um, – I wasn't stupid, but I was like an in-between, a sort of C, D, a B student now and again. And I didn't do well at my A-levels. And I thought, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I thought, well, I'm not clear enough to be a doctor. I don't want to be a shopkeeper. I didn't understand medicine and pharmacies. So I thought, I, and I 
fairly good at numbers, I'll be an accountant. So I did a, I took a degree in math, stats, computing, but I realized that I was completely out of my depth. You know, it was all formulas and cosines and quadratic equations. I was completely out of my depth. And I really, and then I was six months into that program, I went to the library, as you do then, you know, you just go to Google. And uh, there was a book on the table and I picked up this book and I started reading it. It's the first book I read on, off my own accord. And the book was a body language book by Alan Peace. He's like the godfather of body language. Yeah. And I couldn't put it down. And I thought, wow, this is fascinating. And I thought, wow, you can actually understand and interpret people's um, uh, behaviors through their body language. And I thought, well, this is, this is, I love this. This is psychology. So literally in that moment, I went to my tutor. I said, look, I want to transfer to do a psychology degree. And I did that without telling my parents I transferred and did a degree and all the rest of it. So then I took a degree in psychology. Wow, and my my I, I was I was into cricket and sports, so I then I I, I graduated and I was looking. I said, like, "What do I want to do?" And the first job I saw was that my local college had an advert saying uh, "Associate Psychology Lecturer Needed," and he said the only essential was a degree. Everything else was desirable. Now I had nothing else desirable, so I thought I got a degree. Let me apply for it, and it was like a cover cover position. So we, you know, for a supply. So, and at that time it was a part-time position, but you get only paid on the teaching hours, you, the, the sort of contact time with the students. And it was 14 pound an hour. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be proper rich. But you don't realize that you've got 10 hours of prep and 10 hours of marking thereafter. So it worked about 3p an hour, but that's by the by. But I took that, I got the job and within three months they offered me a full-time position. So I became a psychology lecturer. And I thought what I wanted, my final year project was in sports. So I did a, um, my master's, with, no, sorry, my uh, project was about how professional and amateur footballers determine success. So I did a study on that. So I thought, let me, I want to do, become a sports psychologist. So I took a master's in sports psychology and I finished the master's, upset my dissertation. So I thought I needed to leave my teaching job. If you're in teaching, the higher up you go, the less teaching you do and you get institutionalized. So four years into teaching, I left and let me get a a job that tied me over six months. And that was the sales job. So I took the sales job. I finished my master's, got my dissertation. And I thought, right, I'm now going to go and uh, become a sports psychologist, go to university. And the thing with sales, if you've been in sales, you're only as good as your last sale. And literally a week after I got my master's, I got this really big deal. And I earned more in one week in sales than I did for three months teaching. And that was a time where we were paid by check on a weekly basis. So if you got a deal on a Monday, you could put your commission in on a Tuesday on order on the order form, not on cash in, and get your commission on Friday. So literally, it was like, you know, they, they, they fed you the money. So I thought, let me stay here for a few months, and then when it goes pear up, I'll go and do my master, I'll go and do my sports psychology. I ended up there being there nine years. <laughs> wow. Because the money, the travel consuming, and I was selling marketing packages for universities to recruit international students. So it was in my domain of academia, I love that world, and I got to travel the world. So although the job didn't feed my soul at all. I had a young family. I got consumed with the money, consumed with the trouble, but it served a purpose. Yeah. But like all these things, I got, there was a point in 2006, I think I was, yeah, I was in New York about to close one of the biggest deals going. And we did, we closed the biggest deal that I did and the company had at that time. I went back to the hotel and this is when we had to fax orders over. I phoned the office up. So I got the deal faxed the order over, and for about three seconds, I was ecstatic. I thought, well, do you know what? This is great. And then I thought, I can't get any higher in this business. I can't achieve any more. And why do I feel empty? Yeah. And I, for the 
previous two or three years, I've been thinking, oh, I want to do my own thing, coaching, training, but I always had the normal excuse, I'm not good enough. It's the wrong timing. It's too risky. Who's going to listen to me? All the normal stuff. So then on the flight from New York to London, I wrote down all the reasons that I shouldn't do this thing. And the only valid reason, the only valid reason was actually I had a young family I, you know, mortgage, all the rest of it, is I didn't have enough cushion. That if I left my job then, I'd be back in square one because there wasn't enough cushion. So I went back, I went to a few seminars and the general consensus was you need six to 12 months put away. So I did a bit of property. Within 12 months, I sold a property. I got the phone call from the sister saying the money's been transferred. So in that moment, I had no more excuses not to stay in my job. So yeah. I literally handed my notice in and start my business next day. And that was it. And I've not looked back. Was there any point in that journey where you kind of had no shit moment? What am I doing? What, when I left? Yeah. No, because when I said, okay, the only reason I'm not leaving is not enough money. I'm, you know, this thing, I, I'm not good enough. I won't know till I start. I'm not going to succeed. I won't know. Is it the right time? And when is the right time? Right? Yeah. So I, I I went to a few seminars as you do, and I thought, and I, you know, watching different things on on the internet when it was then, and I thought, look, listen, you'll never know. And I and my uh, my wife, my ex wife now, but my wife then, she said, listen, whatever you do, do what you want to do, just don't lose the house. I said, cool, I'm happy with that. So I I put enough away. So there wasn't a no shit moment. Loser. Well, what I did do when I handed my notice in, my director said well, it was like October. He goes, why are you handing the notice in now? He goes, look, I know you want to leave. Why don't you stay till Christmas? Earn a bit of commission. Play you play the game a little bit. I said, yeah, well. Christmas will come, then it'll be Easter, and then it'll be summer. I've got to leave now. I've got yeah. to do it, right? And uh, I've not looked back since. And yeah, we've had ups and downs and good and bad days. But I've been very fortunate that during the last 15, 16, there's never been a moment where I thought, right, if this doesn't work out, I've got to get a job. Always worked out. And I run a couple of it. I've had a restaurant in that time. I've had a gym business in that time. So it's been a, it's been an adventure. I think there's a couple of things which we can draw out of that, and probably it's for another episode, Beiji. But one, one that's about that that inner belief in oneself, you know, that I, I can I can do this, I can do something different. I think the second thing is I, I liken the most successful entrepreneur entrepreneurs to being explorers, like you know, having a belief that there is something else out there. But I have to go and I have to go and explore. I have to go and find out for myself and see it with my own eyes to see whether it's going to work or not. Mm. And then not when we get there, just stick a flag in the ground and walk away. But it's mm. like then acknowledge what we've just done, but what's next? But also it's in that journey, I can sort of it's like four phases of my business. The for the first three or four years, I was I was like I literally started my business in 2007. Then we had the recession in 2008. But my ignorance got me through. I didn't know any different. I didn't know there was no money in the system. I didn't know that people were tightening up. I just went out there and as you do networking and do what you do, did the BNI stuff, did you know all the normal breakfast stuff, did all of those things, right? And I literally, my force of personality got me through. I won businessman of the year in the first three years. And then I went through a phase, first three, four years, anything I touched, touched to gold. And then I went through a phase, four or five years, whereby it was a struggle. It was hard. There was government, you might you might not be, I don't know if you're in business then, but there was this growth accelerator program that the government, whereby you could claim £1,500. And I literally, 90% of my business for four years was based on those grants, right? I went out there, went out there, went out there, which was fine. And then I, I got lost a little bit. I thought, actually, I'm doing what I love, but why do I feel like I felt when I was in corporate. It was because I wasn't playing a big enough game. So yeah. that's when the idea of On Spirit and creating a platform around entrepreneurship and then writing a book and my concept of changing your game come about. So that sort of re revitalized 
that as well. So, and then the thing around, like you say, is my coaching is very much mindset psychology based. So I, I coach business owners, but I'm a performance coach. I'm not a business coach. I'm a performance coach working with business owners and entrepreneurs. Because as you and me know, yes, and accountability, the accountability part for me was you can you can think the great game. You can have the right mindset, whatever, but you need to take an immediate action to reinforce that. And that's why my model, my change of gone model works well. Because when I work with business owners and myself, what was... What determined success? Was it mindset? Yes. Was it strategy? Yes. Was it taking action? Yes. But it was all free. Like we could go to Tony Robbins and have our mindset great. It would be great, you know, do all these things and then, you know, the values and, you know, uh, the keys to life. And then four days later, you crash and burn. Then you go to some business seminar and tells you all the business strategy stuff. Have the strategy, have a flow chart, have a business plan. And then if you do that without the mindset, it won't work. Then you can have someone say, just take loads of action. You can be a headless chicken. It doesn't work. So you need all three. So my change again formula is saying that you need to know your inner game, which is mindset, thoughts, and emotions. You need to know your game plan, which is your strategy and your roadmap. And you need to know your outer game. And that's not just about taking actions. It's how consistent and persistent you are taking your actions. Yeah, it's it, what I find really fascinating about um, that was what you said about that same feeling that you experienced in corporate land then reoccurred, yeah. you know, in your, in your entrepreneurial journey, which you're kind of in control of at that point, aren't you? And it, but it, that familiar sort of feeling came back again and, and it was just trusting your own gut instinct there to actually act on that and change something. I think, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. really fascinating. We can learn a lot from that. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's like it's like having the right. It was it was it wasn't easier. It become I was more empowered to make that change because, like you said, know, we met through various networks, right? And when you're with networks, have you don't have to justify you are at and explain you. You just be, and then people were supporting you unconditionally. It was easier to understand that because when people when I started explaining, I feel like this. People, yeah, I, I can relate to you. I get it. It wasn't like oh well, you better give up now. You better get a job. You got to do this and all the rest of it. It was like no, no okay, well let's go again. What do we need to do? It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, talk to us about, um, your, your scorecard. So you've got a, um, a scorecard, uh, which I think is under change your game scorecard.com, isn't it? That's it. That's um, it. That's where it. people can kind of go through your three steps and, and sort of yeah. see, yeah, so see how they, they kind of stack up. Yeah. So when I wrote my book, change your game, uh, the, the, the book is split into understanding that once you conquer these three games, um, you start getting an impact and make an impact in the world. Okay. And it's understanding how strong you are. So when I create the scorecard, the scorecard is measuring how effective you are as an entrepreneur. And the effectiveness is measuring is how strong your mindset is, your thoughts and emotions, how strong your actual strategy and roadmap is, and how strong you are in uh, consistently taking action. Because a lot of people take action. There's, there's no. Sometimes people think procrastination and overwhelm is an issue. It is an issue. People do take action, but they're not consistent enough in taking action. Or their actions are based on, do I feel like doing it today? And like yeah. we talked about earlier, don't wait for motivation, wait for discipline. So the scorecard measures how strong you are in each of those three games. And you, and you need you, all three games, don't you, in order to really succeed? Well, think about your business, right? You, you know, you're, you're a business coach, right? You go out there and help business owners, you know, create and scale their businesses, right? And how many, when you're working with your clients, Robin, what percentage of the time is a mindset issue? I, nearly 100% of the time. 100% right. But then when you deal with the mindset, you then say, okay, well, what's the strategy now that you need to? Are you going to launch a course? Are you going to write a book? Whatever, correct? So the yeah. strategy needs it once you've got the mindset right, right? And, but then also with your, you know, you, you're high up on accountability like me, is not just about taking action today and tomorrow and then giving up. It's consistency, isn't it? Yeah. So, you you know, you might the same formula with just different labels. Yeah. 
So, yeah. you know, so it all, it all, it's all relevant. And you realize, and the reason I did this is when I first started my business, I had no strategy. My mindset was strong and I took a lot of action. And I realized that my business three or four years in was a one-year business, four years old. Yeah. It wasn't a four-year-old business because there was no strategy. Uh, gotcha. You get it? And I bet you, if you look at your clientele, how many are running businesses for five, six years, but it's a one-year-old business times five, yeah. not a yeah. five-year-old business because they haven't evolved in putting systems and processes and you know maybe you know uh, staff or whatever. You're not growing your team, whether it's virtually or, or otherwise. And then you realize, oh, actually, yeah. I love that concept. It's like it's like dog years, but for businesses. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah. Look, look, look at the pandemic. It's forced us. You know, we, some people say technology-wise and use of technology, we've accelerated five years because of the pandemic. You know, where we are in terms of using the amount of tech, we wouldn't be for five years if it wasn't for that. So for all the bad things that happen for it, from a business uh, efficiency point of view and communication, it's been it's been really good. Um, uh, do you know, we, we'll have to develop a scorecard together, Beige. Or you, you should do this as well. Like, how old is your business? No, how old is it in, in dog yeah. years? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. See what no, we come 100%. up with. Well, um, what's what's coming up? What's next for Beige? Yeah, well, like I say, you know, this is like we said at the start of this podcast, there's a lot of planning at the moment. So I've got a number of, I've got an accelerator program, coaching groups, but I'm looking to, my next two books are coming out uh, next year. So I'm looking at um, writing, uh, a, so this is called Change Your Game. So my next two books is called Play Your Game. So once you change your game, you've got to play your game. And once no, you play your game, you've got to win your game. So those two are looking to come out next year. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I'm actually, I've, um, I, when I first started my business, I did a lot of corporate work. I sort of reduced that now, but I'm getting more demands on it. Because where what's happening as a result of the pandemic is the biggest issue with people working from home and different working conditions is high level accountability. You know, they're given tasks, but are they delivering? So the four concepts that I talked about is about how I introduce those, those levels of concepts within the corporate world as well. Because what you find is that, you know, to go like to, um, you know, if you're a chief executive and go to one of your senior directors and give them task-oriented accountability, they're like, hang on, I know what, I have to do my job. But when you tap into potential genius, they feel listened to and they're more likely to get stuff to them. So I'm exploring that within the corporate world. Oh, amazing. Um, and then in terms of if anybody's interested in sort of finding out a bit more about you, about the accelerator, about um, the, the scorecard, where's the best place to um, well, get and tap into? Well, hopefully, if you, you know, scorecard, change your game scorecard.com, hopefully there'll be a link a link to this podcast. Yeah. But I'm very fortunate. I've got a very unique name. So if you Google my name, Beige Slanky, you'll find me everywhere. LinkedIn, Instagram, Clubhouse, obviously. Um, and yeah, but the best thing to do is if you complete the scorecard, you'll get a full report explaining that. And then obviously you, and then if you fill the scorecard, you get an opportunity to download the um, uh, the digital version of this book. But what I would say, if you're watching this podcast and you can quote one line from this podcast and DM me, I'll send you a free free uh, hard copy. Oh, look at that! And uh, guessing you'll sign it as well. Which I mean, what? Hundred percent. So they've got to quote this podcast. They've got to quote me from this podcast. Send it to me in whatever message and say, right, you said this, Robin, and quote the time I said it in the podcast. Right? Then nice. I'll send them a, a hard copy, a physical signed copy of the book. Fantastic. Oh, we'll we'll make sure that one we share a link to all those resources. But secondly, I'm gonna I'm gonna give load people a load of nudges now. Just get hey, you should go listen to the, <laughs> the basis podcast. I won't feed yeah. them the quote though. I won't I won't cheat. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, they can quote they can quote any. Anything from the from this podcast, whatever they want. Uh, even that line. <laughs> yeah, even that, even that, even that. Absolutely. I could get very meta, couldn't it? Um, yeah. 
Uh, one final question, just to kind of wrap things up, Beiju. Um, we're going to jump into the fearless business time machine, which is a bit like the DeLorean in Back to the Future, but better. Uh, and we're going to go back to a year in your past and you have to have a word with Beiju. So what year is it and what would you say to him? So that year is the year I won Businessman of the Year. So I started my business in 2007 and I won Businessman of the Year 2010. And I remember walking up to collect my award and I thought, hope this is not going to be a curse. And I subconsciously took my foot off the pedal. And if I was my own mentor then, the day after I won the award, I was sat myself down, right, you won this award now. Right now, you really need to leverage this, right, and really deliver. And if I was truth to be told, I'd probably sat on my laurels a little bit, bit of like, yeah, okay, for about three or four years, which then, and we all know about momentum. Once you lose momentum, it's so hard to bring it up. And that's why I was in that bit of a funk about five years in thinking, oh, what am I doing? I'm doing it. So that'll be the moment, the day uh, after I won the award. So I, I've got a little insight for you then. You probably already realised this, given, given that you're the guy who's going to write the books and things. But it sounds like you changed your game at that point, but you weren't, you'd taken your foot off the gas and you weren't fully playing all out. You weren't playing your game and you certainly weren't ready to win the game. Correct. So it's taking all of yeah. that, in, that advice yeah. of knowledge and experience and now you're going to distill it into those books yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think yeah. you've got to go through those periods haven't you where like we've all been there where things are going well and you get a bit complacent you take your foot off the gas and then next thing you know you slip from fourth in the league down to 15th this is arsenal normally um and uh uh you know and then and then you, your manager gets fired and then everything goes a bit wonky and then eventually you have to kind of pull it back but it's much harder to pull it back yeah. and maintain it yeah and we all intellectually know this but we still do it yeah. We still do because we think, oh, we can, we're the ones who will get away with it. We're the ones that will buck the curve. And yeah. it never is. Never is. There was a great thing today. There was a post today about Rolex where Rolex have like 18 month waiting list, but they still advertise every single day. So why do they still Because they don't want to lose momentum. They don't want to have a, a 12 month waiting list or a six month waiting list. So in order to have an 18 month waiting list, they advertise every day. Look at McDonald's. Why yeah. do McDonald's and Coca Cola need to advertise? They'll have cues wherever they can, but they make sure they want to stay top of their game. So us small business owners, we do a bit of marketing, get a few clients, and then we stop. Yeah. 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 I, I had, uh, in interestingly, we will wrap this podcast up now. But so I had, a, um, for, for my first month in five years coaching, for my first month, and this, I won't say which month it is, during lockdown, I had a zero client month, okay, for the first month ever in like, what, 48 months plus. And um, I was talking to my wife about it, and she was like, you know, almost going into like... Um, uh, backup plans and battle strategies. And, you know, if we got enough money, can we afford this? And can we this, that, and the other? And, um, and then she asked me, how are you feeling about that? And I just went, I needed it. I needed it to happen. I needed to be reminded that I'm not superhuman. I needed to have a zero month to, to put, put me back in my place and reset. Um, and I, so I don't think people should ever be afraid or fearful of ever going back there. I think you, you need these periods in your life to just, spark that you know reset yeah. that reignite that spark and, and kick things and on again 100 the key is being aware that you you're you're sort of stepping back a bit and then going through about it what happened then is i took a subconscious step back but that lasted three or four years as opposed yeah. to should have been only two or three months yeah yeah, yeah amazing oh uh, well basically um listen I'm, i really appreciate your time today you've dropped so much value like i'm i'm incredibly grateful i'm sure our listeners are as well we've had a number of people sort of watching in live as well uh, whilst we've been chatting we'll make okay. sure we share everything into the show notes um uh, yeah. and I'm, i think we're gonna have to get you back for another episode as well because i think we yeah. could talk, talk about 
all sorts of stuff uh, yeah. however long. So uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Robin. I know that you know you, you've got a great thing going on there, and I really appreciate. I'm really humbled that you've asked me to come on your podcast and to to, to speak and serve your clients. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so the pleasure's all mine, basically. Thank you.